Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Nice to be back in the saddle. I've had most of the summer off, so I haven't, I haven't been up here since I finished our Philippian series, I think in June. Somebody yelling at me. It's good I'm hearing things. I swear I heard my name in the back. You know, when you have young kids, right, everything, it's always somebody. Sometimes I conveniently pretend I don't really hear. You know what I mean, right, guys? You know what I'm talking about? Don't pretend like you never acted like you were asleep and your kids were crying in the middle of the night. You're like, right, come on, you did it at least once. I'm not the only guy in here. My wife is walking to the back. She's not even listening to You heard me? I love you, baby. It's true. It's amazing. You're amazing. Really, you really are. Could never do it. Well, for these next two weeks, Scott, do you have my PowerPoint? I'm just making sure. It's in the, I put it in the Dropbox. For the next two weeks, we have singletons, sing, you know, single sermons. We are not starting a series. I will tell you this. I've done a lot of prep work over the summer for a new series we're going to be launching in the fall, loosely based off of John Orberg's uh, latest book, which I can't recommend highly enough, uh, Soul Keeper. So that will be our next series. I still haven't picked our Bible book. I, mean, I have a couple of ideas, uh, but that will take place after that. And today's sermon, um, I thought would be very appropriate, given the fact, how many of you are in Hill Houses? You went to at least one meeting over the course of these past three months. A lot of you. That's great. Well, this sermon really is tailored towards the meetings that we've just had and the meetings that we will be starting again come this fall. And you see there, the title of the sermon today is The Truth About You. Let me tell you a little, I want to start with a little story as it pertains to really the thesis and the crux of this message. And the crux of the message is, we don't really know the truth about us. How many of you would agree with that? No, not enough hands. And that's the problem. Right? We, don't, we, we think we really, we think, you don't have to put them, that's okay. We think we really know the truth about us, but we don't. And it is staggering, it is stunning how we can be deceived, self-deception, how we can totally miss what is was glaring, what is so obvious, what is right in front of our faces. And here's a little story I wanted to share with you. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they're on a camping trip. I'm not a Sherlock Holmes fan, but I thought the story was good. In the middle of the night, Holmes nudges Watson awake and says, Watson, look at the sky. Tell me what you see. Watson says, I see millions of stars, my dear Holmes. What do you infer from these stars? Well, a number of things, Watson says, lighting his pipe. Astronomically, I observe there are millions of galaxies, billions of stars and planets. Chronologically, I deduce the time is approximately a quarter past three. Meteorologically, I expect the weather will be fine and clear. Theologically, I see that God is all-powerful and that man, his creation, is small and insignificant. What about you, Holmes? Watson, you fool! Someone has stolen our tent! You get it, right? First question, some of you are like, I don't get it. Look up to the stars, tell me what you see, tent's not there. Well, that's a picture of us as human beings. We miss the obvious. We miss what is right in front of us sometimes. And the danger is, right at the outset of the sermon, the danger is that you kind of like, you want to take that elbow and you want to nudge maybe your spouse, 
maybe your kids, like this is a good message for them because there are things that they need to see in themselves, right? That's the problem again. You need to have the, take the mirror out, hold it up to you. You look into the mirror. This is not for somebody else. This is for you. And there's a wonderful story that I want to look at as it pertains to us really not knowing the truth about ourselves. And if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Matthew 20. A story that some of you have probably read before. My slant is going to be totally, probably different. Maybe a unique take on the story as it's tethered to what I'm already saying about the truth about ourselves and how we fail to see that, certain things about us. And a wonderful story here. We'll start in, um, we're going to start in verse 17. Everyone there? All right, here we go. Starting in verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify And the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. And so what is happening in this story is, you have Jesus has just taken the 12 aside. This is, and this happens, I mean, this is numerous times in the Gospels. Jesus is foretelling what will happen in the future, that he will be betrayed, he's ultimately going to be crucified. He's trying to tell them over and over and over again. There's a New Testament scholar, I love him, his name is Dale Bruner, and this is what he says. He says, the Gospel wants disciples to know their congenital obtuseness how difficult they are. And that's us. How difficult. And, and how many of you have read this, right? You've read this numerous times. You're like, what's wrong with them? How did, how did they miss this? He's telling them over and over and over again what's going to happen. So he tells them here what's going to take place. And then you have Mrs. Z. Can I call her Mrs. Z for the rest of the sermon, right? Have you ever heard a sermon about Mrs. Zebedee? Probably not. Never really looked at her, you know, studying the text for the past few weeks. I'm like, she's an interesting character here in this story. We know Mr. Zebedee is a fisherman. We don't know much about Mrs. Z. So that's what we're looking at today. So then Mrs. Z comes by right after all of this has been said. The, Matthew wants us to know in this gospel, he's making it clear, Jesus has just said all of these things, and then she's coming over, and what does she want? Hey, Jesus, come here for a second. Can I talk to you? Can you do me a solid for my boys, Jimmy and Johnny? Come on. Can can you give them a little upgrade, right? Can you please look out for these guys? It's really important. I want one on your right, one on your left. Jesus, you can do this, right? Come on. You you have to be able to do this. Please, please. I understand. Yeah, yeah, you're going to suffer all that stuff. That's wonderful. But for now, can you just do me this little favor? And on the outside here, when you see Mrs. Z talking to Jesus this way, I want you to notice, and here's the word, collusion. I want you to notice, what does that mean? By collusion, I mean that the boys, Jimmy and Johnny, 
and, and Mrs. Z, they're really working together. Because I read the text to you, and you're probably like, the guys, the, mom just came by and how many of you, right, at some point in your life, your mom did something, did something, said something, and you were mortified, and you wanted to hide under a rock somewhere. Is that how you picture the two disciples? Mom, look, there's 10 other guys over here. There's people everywhere, and you go over there, and you have to ask Jesus in front of everybody, can one of us be on the right? Can one of us be on the left? Really, mom? Right? Isn't that how you'd kind of read that? That's no, 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 no. They're colluding together. You see, she's trying to act as if this is some altruistic, uh, you know, request. That it's purely about, uh, it's purely a mom, motherly love. Oh, and all the moms are like, oh, isn't it wonderful? She didn't ask anything for herself. All she cares about is Jimmy and Johnny, that they, where they're positioned next to Christ. And the boys, they're just kind of sitting there and they care about, all right, mom, I guess we'll kind of come, all right, we'll stand over here. And they're kind of sheepish and they're modest. They don't really care. No, nothing could be further from the truth here in the story. There is real collusion going on. And what she is really hoping for is that one day she can take that bumper sticker, right? My two sons are honored students at Jesus' elementary discipleship school, right? She wants that bumper sticker to blast on her car and show everybody, look at my two boys. Can you imagine somebody in the ancient world? This is crazy how the people lived in the ancient world that somebody would actually find gratification and it would feed their ego by the accomplishments of their kids. Can you imagine somebody actually caring about that? What's wrong with these people? I know none of you do that with your kids. Some of you are looking at me, you didn't get it. None of of you do that. You don't really care. You know what Mrs. Z is? She is the first helicopter parent. To swoop right in and she talks to Jesus. Hey, can you help out my two boys here? And the danger is, let me stop here for a second, the danger is for us as parents, now that I'm a parent, and it's crazy, your life totally changes, but we as parents, how we can get so caught up with the achievements and accomplishments of our kids, and you know what happens is, it may not be spoken, but listen, your kids feel it, our kids feel it, when there is pressure that is put on them to achieve things. You have to be something, you have to be someone, you have to do this, you have to do that. Our kids really feel that, and that's dangerous. And you know how I found it in my own life? Megan's in the back, but I'll, you know, I don't think she can hear me too well. She's not looking at me. I always tell, what? She can't hear me. I always, we always, every year, I always tell you, right, I have to do that Buckley family weekend thing, and, and my in-laws aren't here, so listen, it's, I t- it's one of the toughest days of the, weekends of the year for me, to travel up there, I start to like sweat like, like, like miles away before I get there, because you show up, I told you, it's like you're on different teams, I never know what team, I'm, I've been doing this for a long time, I don't know what team I'm on, they have shirts, she's like, you gotta get your shirt on, get with your team, there's always the same guy, because he knows I'm an athlete, this is the year buddy, we gotta win, we lost the last four years, I'm like, I don't really care what happens at the Buckley Family Weekend competition, I don't care, until, until I have kids, right, right, because they have like kid competitions, and this year, this is, how, this is how crazy this is in affecting me, talking about being a helicopter parent and finding gratification and what happens with your kids. There are kids' competitions. They get like these little, like, uh, like, they look like diplomas. They get these certificates. And somebody is the star. One of the kids is like the star of the weekend, right? That's good, right? Star of the weekend, all these little games. And I said to Megan on the way home, I'm like, did you know so-and-so is cheating so that their kid could win? Did you watch so-and-so in the quarter game? Jameson was supposed to be in first, and he came 
came in second, but he was really in first. She's like, really? And then I sat back and I was like, this is, this is meaningless. This has nothing to do with anything in life. Why do I care about this? Because this is the culture we live in and we care so much about this. I'm a teacher, if you don't know. I teach in a high school. I see this all the time. I have coached. I have met so many parents that come in. And here, case in point, I'll have open school night. And some of you are teachers, you know. And the, this, the 10-minute session will end. And invariably, there will be one parent that's, that wants to talk to me. It's, it's an AP student. And the parent says, I just want to tell you about uh, Susie and all the things. that it's like, listen, I don't, that's great. I love you. We can email. Talk. There's like five parents deep that want to talk to me, say goodbye. But this one parent, oh, they, they're so focused on their kid. And they say things sometimes that I'm embarrassed for them. Don't be that parent, okay, in September when you have open school night. That's free. That's not, that's not really part of the sermon, but that should help you. So we as parents, though, right, we live vicariously through our kids. I've, I can't tell you how many people I have met over the years that do that, but it's something that I battle as well as a parent, and it's hard. So here she comes, Mrs. Z, and what does she do? She kneels before Jesus. This is a posture of surrender and humility, right? like self-effacing and humble. She's coming and she kneels before him. That's how it kind of looks, right? Isn't that what, when somebody is, you kneel before a king or a queen, right? You're submitting to that individual. Well, that's how it looks on the outside. But this, as I want you to see, this is an incredible act of grandiosity. This is as arrogant as you could possibly get for this woman to come and kneel before Jesus and given what he has just talked about. Pretty amazing that she does this. Imagine, now, now, I had to do this. We had our hill houses, right? Imagine Mrs. Z is in a small group. You know, play along with me, right? It's, uh, I couldn't wait for this. So Mrs. Z is in a small group later on that week after this event. Hey, Mrs. Z, how was your week? It's good, really good. Yeah, I saw Jesus. He was teaching. Said something about, I don't know, being condemned, and he was going to die. Go to a, I, my mind wasn't really, I was kind of busy when he was talking about that. But let me tell you what I did. I kneeled down before Jesus, and I said, Jesus, hey, if, you know, if you, you love people, you're the finder of lost sheep, right? You're the ultimate egalitarian, you, men, women, you want them to be equal, every, you love everybody, but can you have Jimmy and Johnny, one on your right, one on your left, can you do that? And they're like, are you, are you kidding me? You really said that? What incredible, that motherly love. What did he say? He must have loved that, that you said that. And then somebody else pipes up, hey, you know what, Mrs. Z? We're going to pray that that happens. Yeah, we're all going to believe together that that happens for you in your life. There are people in that small group, though. Somebody's going, Mrs. Z, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> right? Can't you see somebody like sitting there going, what? she beat me to it. Or somebody going, how arrogant. Is this lady kidding me? that her kids should be elevated above all the other disciples, right? But guess what? That doesn't get said. The other stuff gets said because what do we do? We collude with each other. We call them small groups. We can call, we, sometimes we, we should call them prevention groups, growth prevention groups, because we go to these groups, right? Do we really tell each other the truth? The person that talks too much and is in the room and you want to be like, you know, really, really, come on. Doesn't this person realize they're monopolizing the time in the meeting? And at the end of the meeting, great meeting, everything was great. Well, not even in a meeting, just in our own lives when we're talking to people. We can shrink back from really telling the truth. That's what this is about. 
This is about fostering real relationships, taking next steps in the relationships that we have with each other. So she says that there in the small group to her friends. And what does Jesus do? Of course, Jesus says, oh my gosh, this is such a noble request. I never want to disappoint people. Mrs. Z, I would never want to disappoint you. I wouldn't want to disappoint anybody else. Let me see if my father, let me see what my father can do. I can't promise you anything, but let me see what he can do. Isn't that the response that she gets from Jesus? No. Some of you don't know, but that's not the response that she's going to get from Jesus. No, his real response is, he's going to say later on in the text, I want you to notice there's a key word, he's going to address them. He's not going to even talk to her. He's going to say, he's going to keep with the pretext that, yeah, you know what's going on here? That the boys, Jimmy and Johnny, are hiding behind mom. And mom, in essence, is saying this altruistic act that I I really just care about. It's a selfless act. She cares just about herself. And Jesus is going to call him out on it. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love the fact that he's willing to tell the truth? And I love when Jesus came, if you don't know this, many of you probably do, but interesting to note anyway, when Jesus came, Jesus was associated with religion, and religion is associated with following the rules. When Jesus came and lived on this earth, he was one who broke the rules. He didn't give them more rules. He didn't say, you know what, you're not following Levitical rules. You're not following the Levitical law and the Torah. He said, you know what, I'm going to be one that breaks, oh, I'm not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath. I'm not supposed to do this on the Sabbath, this is what I'm going to do. Jesus did not come to give you more pressure, to give you more rules to follow. He came to give you that relationship. Oh, Jesus, how beautiful. And that's his real response. But again, with this collusion, little systems, little groups, family sometimes can do this. There's a writer by the name of R.D. Lang. This is great. He said that family systems sometimes can protect self-deception and brokenness. And when they do, they always have three rules. Listen to these rules. Rule number one is... Don't, just don't. In this case, don't betray the family by, you know, by failing to achieve high status. Rule number 1A is, rule number one does not exist. Rule number 1B is, do not discuss the existence or non-existence of rules 1, 1A, or 1B. Because as long as you don't talk about it, it can't be going on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can relate to this. This is what happens in families. It happens all the time, and we collude with each other, and we tell each other exactly what we want to hear. There's an, uh, a pastor, I found this in a book he had written. His name is Bill Hybels, one of the greatest, in my estimation, one of the greatest leaders, church leaders in the country uh, today. And in one of his books, he talked about how we need to be a people. He's, he uh, pastors a church, a huge church, outside of Chicago. And he talks about how we need to be a people that have um, the strength to give what he calls the last 10%. The last 10%. What does he mean by that? He says that we suffer from terminal niceness, right, in in Christian churches. Terminal niceness, church groups, whatever. We're always nice to everybody. We always want to say the nice things. We get it, and sometimes we'll have difficult conversations, right? But we shrink back when it comes to giving somebody the last 10% of what needs to be said in that difficult conversation. For example, in the small group I said earlier, maybe there was somebody that was talking too much, and you're like, hey, you know, what would you think of the meeting? And you know the person talked too much. Like, maybe you say, you know, I didn't really think the meeting was that good. And the person's like, yeah, I thought it was okay. Instead of just saying, hey, look, I really think you talked a little too much in the meeting, we shrink back. 
We don't give that last 10% because we're afraid of what other people are going to think, but we get fuzzy, fuzzy, we get vague, we don't want to give people the real truth. Well, we want to be, at City on a Hill Community Church, I speak for all the pastors, we want to be a last 10% church. And where in your life is that really happening? Let me ask you, City on a Hill, who are the people in your life that are giving you the last 10%? You're in a scary place if you don't have anybody that can tell you the truth. And you may say, yeah, I'm in a group. I talk, no, 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 really. Who's giving you really the last 10%? Forget the first 90, the last 10. I love what the Apostle Paul, he says it this way in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Did you you see what he's saying there? There is a way to speak the truth and there is a way not to speak the truth. There is a way to give that last 10% and there is a way not to give the last 10%. And I'm going to get to that at the end of the message. But all the time, you and I are sending off little signals. How we listen, right? Just our posture, what we're doing, how we respond to things. How are we going to be when somebody gives us that last 10%? Because I know initially, I had somebody recently... Not too long, a few months ago, about an issue in the church, somebody wanted to meet with me, and we met, and somebody said, look, I have some issues with, you know, X, Y, and Z, and the person was right, but my first instinct, my first inclination was to be defensive, to be stubborn, to say, no, that's, I I don't see that in myself. It's hard sometimes. It's not always easy to see the truth in ourselves. We don't see the truth in ourselves. That's why God has given us the body. That's why he's given us other people. Moving on in the story here, going back to verse 22, we stopped in 21. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. The cup in the Bible, and it's, you should be laughing when you see this. They are so quick, it's just reflexive. Yeah, yeah, we're able to do that. Oh, absolutely. And Jesus wants to be like, listen, there are three words that you should understand. You don't know. You don't understand your heart. You don't understand your motives. You think you know yourself, but you don't know yourself. You're basically clueless. Clueless. This is us. And the cup here in the story, uh, mentioning here, the cup in the Bible is often used as an image for human destiny as as it pertains here. We're we're talking about human suffering. We're talking about sin on this earth, that God is one day going to judge the sin that is on this earth. And he's basically, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you take on what I'm going to take on? Oh, but listen, there will come a day, James, and there will come a day, John, when you too will actually get to drink this cup. But it's going to be so much different than you actually think. Isn't it amazing that our expectations sometimes of God, how we think things are going to work out, and the exact opposite really happens. And then look at this. this. It gets quite funny. Look at 23 and 24. So he said to them, look at, there it is. If you write in your Bible, he didn't say to, right, who asked this request? Was it, it was mom. It's so easy to like just look past this. He's like, all right, boys, Jimmy, Johnny, step out. Here you go. I'm not talking to mom. I'm talking to both of you. Mom, I'm, not ta- I'm talking to all of you together. So he says to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it is prepared by my father. And then look at 24. 
I, I found quite amusing as well. And when the ter- ten heard it, they were greatly displeased. Your version may say indignant with the two brothers. I bet they were, right? Do you think James and John and Mrs. Z, Mrs. Z wanted this to be a private conversation. Do you think James and John wanted everybody to, find, especially like Peter, right? Do you think they wanted Peter to find out that they had, hey, Jesus, um, is there any way that you can keep this quiet so nobody finds out what we asked? We really wouldn't want the other 10 to find out. No, 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 we'll just keep it between us. Nobody else has to know. It's going to be okay, right? I want to know how did the other, they find out somehow. They find out about this conversation. Now, why are they mad? Ask yourself the next question. Why would the ten disciples be? You say, that's an easy answer. Of course they're a question. Of course they're mad. Are they any more noble or pure? No, because inside of them, I guarantee you, a couple of them are like, why didn't I ask first? Why didn't we ask? Why didn't we think of that? And then maybe a couple of them are going, especially Peter. They're going, well, if one and two are gone, that means I got a jockey for like three through 12. So how am I going to be number three? How am I going to make this work? Judas, I don't have to worry about him, but I got to worry about some of these other guys here. How am I going to make this work, right? You following me? That's what's going on. Come on. These are real human beings. You have to tell the story this way because they're re- sometimes we put them on a pedestal and we're like, you know, come on, real flesh, human beings. They thought things like we think. They, no different than us. No different. Ordinary got to read the story that way. So they're indignant, they're mad, they're upset, and then as the story is going to go on here, we see, I, I should even actually backtrack. When you look at, do you ever think about this inner circle, that James, John, and Peter are part of this inner circle? That ever bother you when you read the, like you read the Gospels? No? Never thought of that? Right? There's three, I mean, you look at like the Mount of Transfiguration, and it, it, radiant and glory. Jesus is transfigured before them. It's only James, John, and Peter. One of the greatest miracles that takes place in the, in the Bible, Jairus, at the home of Jairus, that incredible miracle. Only those three are there. Uh, Garden of Gethsemane. But Garden of Gethsemane, they're the only three that actually get to move farther. Right? They go with him. What about the other guys? Did you ever sit there and think, like, wh- wouldn't they be upset? How come that's the case? Shouldn't they be upset like... Jesus, what are you doing? Why did you form this inner circle? Why did you do that? Why, Jesus, you're so adamant about human beings being equally loved by God and everybody matters, then why would you create this inner circle? And you know what I love about Jesus too? He never lets a hidden agenda go undiscussed. Never lets it go undiscussed because look what he says in 25 through 28, okay? And he never misses a moment. This is spontaneous. Here it is, the the greatest teacher that has ever lived. Look what he says in 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Hmm. What is he not saying here? Let me just say, what is he not saying? He doesn't say, hey, Peter, Judas, guys, Thomas, come on, everybody come on. You know what? You're right. I really need to divide my time equally amongst all 12 of you. So here it is. Let me pull out my count. Let me pull out my iPhone. And you have Monday. You have Tuesday. You have Wednesday. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. 
You have some, like you have James and John, who are looking for this, this place of prominence in the kingdom, and then he knows you have other disciples that they're like, what about us? What about us? Come on, where are we? And he says, listen, that's all for the grist mill. Listen, spiritual for me, something's going to happen. I don't really care about that stuff. What I care about is that all of you become servants. It's about servanthood. It's about love. And he makes, come on, he makes no mistake. There are the 72, then there are the 12, then there are the three. I don't know why that happened, but it did happen. And he says, don't get caught up in that. What matters is, are you serving Are you serving other people? Are you loving other people? That's the point of what he's trying to bring home. He brings everything into the light. He doesn't let anything sit in the darkness. Again, that's just another reason why he is absolutely the master teacher. So again, who speaks the truth to you in love? Who? Who is that in your life? Who do you let speak the truth to you in love? Bill Hybels again he, uh, he had an exercise at his church, and I thought this was unbelievable in reading about it, and a little scary. He has, I'll, I'll put the little picture up there so you can see it when you fall asleep. It's called the fishbowl exercise. And what he did was, he had a life coach come in. And the life coach came into his church for his, I guess, immediate staff at the church. And the life coach sat down with everybody, and the life coach said, it was a woman, she said, you're all going to write down honest feelings and observations that you have about other people in this group, other leaders in this church. (laughs) I want you to be as honest as you can. You're going to do it on your own. This person was with them for a couple of weeks. I can't imagine what the bill was. Probably staggering, right? But worth the money, I think. So they all do this. Then after that, she met with each individual privately to discuss those observations, talk about them. From there, get this, on big sheets of paper in a room, they wrote down some of these raw, honest observations, things that they saw in other people in the room. And why did she call it the fishbowl? Think about a fish in a tank. Where, I mean, you can put things in a fish tank for a fish to hide, but really, I mean, wherever you go, you can kind of see that fish. And she called it the fishbowl because she made leaders, she made them get in the middle of the fishbowl. Somebody would get in the middle of the room, and they would give them the last 10%. They would give them their honest feelings and observations about them. And you may say, that is real scary. So I thought we would start it now. I'll go. <laughs> you imagine that? No, Pastor Linda would go first, not me. She's not here. Pastor, Pastor Joe wouldn't mind. Good luck trying to find something about him, right? Happy Joe. Uh, but really, imagine that. And I said to myself, though, I would love for this to be that kind of church. I, t- I, I talked to Pastor Linda about it. And I said, I really think that's a, a good idea. We should do something along those lines. I think it would be wonderful. And some of you are going, well, that's a little strong. That's maybe too honest. Can you handle the truth? Jack Nicholson, can you handle the truth? I've done it before. I'm not doing it again. Don't ask me. No, no. You can't handle the truth. That's best I'm going to give you. No, don't clap. That was terrible. That wasn't a, that wasn't a good effort on my part. Not happy with that. Definitely don't win an Oscar for that. But really, what would it be like if you even in, in small groups, some of you have small groups, what if you did that? I put that out there for you. What if you did that? What if you really said, you know what, let's talk honest and give each other the last 10%. Don't you want to grow as a human being? I want to grow. Because who I was yesterday and who I was last year is not who I want to be next year. 
And I had two times this week. One time where I was given the last 10%, again, from a couple of people. You don't like it when somebody gives you the last 10%. And then I had to give the last 10% to somebody that is close to me that it was very difficult. It was very hard. It's never going to be easy, but the life that comes with that, and we bring things into the light, and how the power of the risen Christ comes into those meetings and into those conversations, it's off the charts. That's what I want for us as a church, that we would be a people that are able to give the last 10%. And you know what? A couple more things, and I'll close. Interesting when you look at all the nicknames. My sister the, the other day was talking about Peter at the youth meeting, at the Ignite meeting, and I heard her talking to my mom about, we always talk about Peter. How many of the disciples got nicknames? A little trivia. Come on. How many of the disciples did Jesus give nicknames? Jesus. Chris? Take a guess. Five. Good guess. Anybody else want to take a guess? Three. There you go. All right, you have Simon, who is named Peter, Petros, rock, right? You're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this. And then James and John, the sons of, hey, Johnny, you remember? John and I used to play basketball at one of the churches down the road. And one of the, uh, Pastor Baxter, he's been here, his daughter, the amazing opera singer. And we used to play, and he'd always like, call us the sons of thunder, right? And I, it wasn't really fair to him, because I was always like loud, and like, John was always like, kind of quiet, and he would just kind of do it. So he always got, John, he's not, he's not, not private, listen, but in those moments, it was always funny. But he gives them, what do you think of John? I know what you think of Peter. Have you ever looked at John and said, what is son of thunder? What's the connotation? I want to be the greatest, Muhammad, I'm the, who's the greatest, I want to be the greatest, right, come on, James, who wants to, we could be the greatest, these guys were loud, they're wild, they were probably crazy, people I would have loved to hang out with, but you look at them like all reserved, and there's John writing on the island of Patmos, hallelujah, oh, right, isn't that how you think of John, right, no, sons of thunder. Jesus one day again, see his sense of humor. He's like, look at these two. God, I called Jimmy and Johnny the sons of thunder. They're crazy. How about, here, here you go. Look, can I give you a couple of instances? And the last one's my favorite. Jamal, you were asking me what you are laughing at. The last one's my favorite. I'll, I'll show you. Yeah, yeah. All right, 946 to 50. Then a dispute arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. Happens all the time. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child, set it by him, and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. Now, here it is. Notice it's John, not James. Now, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Like, can you believe this guy over here? He's not part of our little group. He's going to get more attention than us. No, no, we're your followers. We're the ones, right? We're the ones that are with you every single day. This guy, we can't have this guy going around doing that. Right? You see that? You see that? All right, move on to the next one. 51, look at this. Another instance. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. Samaritans, Jews, hated each other. Think Palestinians, Israelis, right? Hated each other to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. (laughs) There it is. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Really? Really? Is that what you want to see happen here? I mean, I don't know. Turn them to ash in a flash. Just burn them up. Consume them, Lord. You want us to do that? Imagine Jesus sitting there. He's probably laughing. These guys, it just never ends. These guys constantly... 
boys, all right, relax, sons of thunder. We get it, you're the sons of thunder, all right? Real people. Come on, saints, real people. But this is my favorite. <laughs> I laughed all week. All right, John 21 through 4. Now, right, the resurrection. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and who wrote the book of John. John did, right? Okay. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, and we're going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Only recorded in John's gospel. You imagine they're sprinting to the tomb. There's Peter, and John's like, I got to beat him. I have to be first, first, right? First, and he gets out. Oh, oh, I mean, I won, I won. Can't you picture it, right? And Peter's like, no, 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 no. But I got in the tomb first, and I heard the angel. I saw the angel, and the angel said, he is risen, he is risen indeed. No, no, no. John's like, I'm going to write about it, though. I'm going to write that I won. doesn't really matter. It's true, right? Come on. This is the, that's why I love the Bible. It's so real. It just lays everything out. We're all right, wrong, or indifferent. You see the reality of people's lives. Now get to the serious part as we close. You know what? There did come a day that they got to be first. Christian tradition tells us that James, one of the sons of thunder, would be the first martyr among the 12. Oh yeah, you know what? James, you want to be the first at something? You get to be the first at following me. You get to be the first martyr. He would be beheaded. And I have to wonder, I wondered all week, did he think back to the time when mom was there and she knelt down and asked Jesus, can my sons, can one be on the right and one be on the left? Can they be first and second in your kingdom? And there is James at that moment. He has given up his life. He has followed his savior. And then how about John? John is writing on the island of Patmos. Did you ever read, read, some, read first, second John? Read, read these letters. You know why? Because all that's in there is love. John talks about love over and over and over again. That was one of the books I might do, first John, because it's all about love. Here is this guy that he's constantly racing. I want to be first. I want to be first. I want to be first. And he grows because there was one that was willing to tell him and give him the last 10%. Saints, if you haven't heard my message, I think it's pretty clear. Who is that for you in your world? Who is giving you the last 10% in your life? Here are the rules. I can't leave without giving you a few rules, right? Because invariably somebody is going to, you know, leave here and, and be a mistake. You don't go to somebody and say, now I'm giving you the last 10%. <laughs> Sit down. Sit down right now. You heard that pastor talk about the last 10%. I'm going to give it to you right now. No, no, don't do that. No, you don't need to. That's not going to go well. It's going to blow up in your face, right? I think what the best thing to do is, and if, if you're angry and you're going to explode, Pastor Linda, always, I, I, I listen to it now. It took me a while. It took me years. She'd be like, listen, you need 20, the 24-hour rule. Take your time. I'd want to like go crazy. Ah, are you kidding me? What happened? James, 24 hours, breathe in and out. Find your center point. Come on. It's going to be Okay. It's not the time when you're angry and you want blood, all right? That is not the time to enter into a conversation. But maybe it's, hey, you know what? I'd like to talk to you about something that I see and you hurt me or I saw this in a meeting. 
There's a way to do it, and you could bring it up in love. That is the key. It's our spirit. Pastor Linda always says that too. It's your spirit. It's not your words. James, it's your spirit. Oh, my God. I've heard that a thousand times. It's not what you're saying. It's how you're saying it to me. Oh, my gosh, how right she is, right? When you're in a conversation with somebody, it's how we say things to somebody. It's how we listen. It's our body language. That's exactly what we're looking for here. And presenting it in love means you realize, you understand, you don't see perfectly, but you realize, hey, you, you have imperfections too, but you love this person, you want to see them changed. I don't, we just need to be a people that trust God in the midst of these conversations and telling others the last 10%. And then how are you going to receive it? There's three ways you can receive it. One, I wrote down, stubborn. We could be stubborn, right? Somebody says, hey, look, I see this in you, and we, I, that's not me. There's no way and you refuse to listen to what your brother or sister is saying, try to have an open mind. Or number two, I've seen this one a lot, being a, a pastor's kid over the years, just, uh, p- some people just break down. They crumble. I'm the worst person ever. How could you love me? How could Jesus ever love me? And you're like, oh, gee, I've got to pick up the pieces now. That's not, that, it's manipulative. Because what that says to other people, listen to me, this is Henry Cloud. Henry Cloud said this on this one. Henry Cloud said, that's manipulative because what happens is you, you then get the message, I'm never telling that person, I'm never giving them the last 10% again. Remember what happened last time. Or superficial empathy, where you go, hey, you know what, brother? That's really good. That's a really good point. I, I definitely understand what you're, and you don't want to change. You're just telling them what they want to hear. We can be a church. And you say, this is tough, man. Yeah, it's tough. Not the kind of message you want to, oh my God, that was a great message. Nobody wants to hear this stuff, but it's the truth. How are we receiving the last 10%? How are we giving the last 10%? You know what Dallas Willard said? Dallas Willard, one of my old favorite writers, passed uh, a few months ago, last year. He said, our darkness is so dark, denial is actually a kind of gift to the human race. Because if we were ever to see the truth about our spiritual condition before God, it would turn us to stone. Where does the power come from to receive the truth? Right here. It comes right here. It comes at a cross. That's where the power lies for us to be able to receive that last 10%. And as we come to the table, that's what we're looking at. We're looking to one who died on the cross and said, give it all to me. You don't have to carry it, but we don't have to hide either. Remember, these small groups, if you are not in a hill house, you weren't in a hill house, I can't recommend it highly enough that you jump in. Jamal said steps this morning. Take a baby step, jump in the river, get in a group, get connected with people. How do we live on our, how do we do it isolated? It's a never-ending message. It constantly has to be repeated, but some of us don't get it. We're still as isolated as can be. We're doing our own thing. Please, I implore you as one of the pastors in this place, make the time. We all can have excuses. We, I know how busy life is. Please, save it for somebody else. Everybody's busy. You need to be intentional. You need to arrange your life around the things Jesus Christ arranged his life around. This is one of them, community. And who are those people that are telling you the truth? So if, as you come to the table this morning, I don't know, see what, see what the Lord does, whatever he puts on your heart, but lay it down. Lay it down. Whatever hurts, 
whatever baggage that you had that you brought in this place today, lay it down here. And if there is a conversation you feel like you're going to have and you need to give somebody the last 10%, you've been holding on to it, and you feel the Spirit pricking at your heart, I would ask that you pray and you come up here and you trust God and say, God, I'm taking the table this morning and believing that you are going to meet me in that conversation. Lord, Lord, I thank you that you want this place to be like that fishbowl. You want us to be people that are open and transparent. It doesn't mean we're open with everybody. Lord, you've given us strategically, you've given us people in our lives that we can go to to, to receive the last 10% and give the last 10%. May we be open to what others have to say. Father, do something amazing in this place in the context of community. May we want this, Lord, so bad to be open and just share our lives together and not be fake and not be superficial. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.